0: Dudes, like, I went to a bunch of stuff on Saturday. Um, I went to some soccer matches, specifically one. And uh, the coolest thing about the dominating fashion in which the ladies took homecoming, right? Okay, is, is I, I'm walking in and I get there and they score. And then I hear the vuvuzuela. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. (laughs) So what I thought was this. It's like, if I'm preaching at chapel and I make a really good point, all I have to do is point through my vuvuzuela. (laughs) And, yes. And then so instead of me saying, okay, repeat after me, go. And you guys say, go. I say, repeat after me, go. And then... All right, And if I say amen, you're supposed to say amen, right? And So I ask you the rhetorical amen, but instead it's like, amen? Okay. Now, here's the other thing. I sit in chapel a bunch, and I kind of make my way all over the place. And so um, I also hook something up to the Vuvuzela. So like, say, for example, you got your phone, all right, or your computer out. All right, or you're just like having a sad day today is one of those days. Um, you might be sitting there in chapel and without you knowing it, this bro is so crafty. He might come up behind your seat and <laughs> thank you. God bless you. Give it up for the bubusuela. You, you don't like that? It took me like five minutes to figure out how to pronounce it, vuvuzuela. Is that right? I looked it up on the internet. It's like, you know, sports horn. It's like, that doesn't make sense. That's stupid, sports horn. You know what? This place is so stinking impressive. It's like the athletic department here is ridiculous. It's so amazing. Everywhere you look, the guys win on Saturday. The ladies dominate. Men's and women tennis. Take home the conference championship and the tournament championship. Bro, do you know that the ladies tennis team has won that 27 years in a row? Not, not 27 games, 27 years, years in a row. Bro, it's like, it's the greatest dynasty in sports history is at IWU, not UCLA basketball, not John Wooden, it's, it's the women's tennis team and, and, and professor, Dr. Coach Eddie Shigley, okay? <laughs> Dude, it's like, can you not wait for basketball season? I mean, we're loaded, the history, the incredible coaches that we have. Bro, if you're bored, you want to go out to, you know, and, and you just walk over to the theater over here and, and get incredible. Did anybody go Charlie Brown this weekend? Bro, good day. I mean, are you kidding me? Dude, this place is stacked, all right? There's so much going on. It blows my mind what we produce at IW all the time. Things that people even know that's happening. You turn on the TV and it's like the TV station is amazing and it's all kinds of crazy stuff. They go out and they do high school football games. So I just, I wanted to just throw something out there. I wanna say this to Coach Langs who's the head coach for the football team. Bro, I have eligibility. (laughs) Okay. Give me one shot. I still got my jersey. I mean, I've got eligibility. It's like, I mean, put me in for one play at least. I mean, if you say, hey, Charlie, we need, you know, two yards. I'll get you the two yards, coach. Any, any players in the house here? I'll get the two yards. If you need like five yards, I'll get you the two yards. <laughs> but dudes, I still have my jersey. Like, John, I've got my jersey. It's like, and, 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 and I still have most of my hair, okay? Dude, that was the sickest hair ever, wasn't it, man? That was the day, man, when you had like the center part, you know, you feathered it back. You know what I'm talking about? Bros, you know that's pretty sick. Dude, number six, I got that role, Bedford High School, rock and roll. Pretty intimidating, right? I'm not getting any love at all here. Dr. Ken, I'm getting no love from all my friends here. It's like, any players? Come on, could you put a good word for me to coach? Like maybe at least for one play. I mean, today, what's what's a scrimmage like at 4:30 or whatever? Why, bro? One play. <laughs> one play. One play. Okay. What's that? Today. Today, one play. I'm bringing my jersey. I'm a. Get some new shoulder pads, okay, because those are huge. I don't know where those cleats are at. I'm pretty sure they're gone, but I do have my jersey. And I still have my mouthpiece. That's disgusting. But anyway, But it's the heart. I mean, one play, coach, one time. Ah, Anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Dude, I'm so glad to be here in chapel. I love this. Um, and I was thinking about it um, for the last couple of weeks after I hear other people speaking in chapels It's like, what, what would be the right thing for me to talk about here? And so I go back really to my, my devotions. Like every chapel, every time I'm in church, I take notes constantly on things. And so I went back and I thought, you know what, this might be like the perfect time to bring out something that blew my mind at the end of August. So I was sitting in a church service, and the pastor actually wasn't using this section of scripture, um, but it instantly drew my attention to another piece of scripture. And I started going through that, and I wanna get into it with you. So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 20. And we're gonna kinda go over a little piece of scripture here that I think has a lot of relevance to like right now. Not, hey, when chapel is over, or like next week, or when you graduate. I'm talking about like right now. In fact, when I heard this, it made me kind of sad. That's I'm gonna give you some Greek interpretation here. So, like in the Greek, that'd be like you know, bad days or sad. That's the translation of feeling like convicted about what you're hearing or seeing. See, because like conviction is not the absence of Christ in your life; it's His presence. I said that last year when I was in chapel. What is conviction? When when all of a sudden you realize you need to change or something needs to to be different about you, you need to apologize, you need to make some correction in your life, that means that you're in this relationship. So conviction is good. I was convicted in a church service. So let me begin to read this to you. Um, It's John chapter 20, starting basically in verse 20, and here's kind of what's happening. Jesus is having all these conversations with people, and it's been going on for years now. Jesus, for years, has been doing his ministry, and he's coming to a close of that. And so we all know about these people, like, you know, the disciples and all these others that gather and walk with Jesus. And he's in one of those moments where he's in this town. And this is preceding when he goes into Jerusalem, and we know it's going to happen then because when he goes there, that's when we know about, you know, you know the, the Last Supper and, you know, when he's betrayed and the crucifixion and all. We know that story, but this is before that. And basically, he's having conversations, explaining to people what the kingdom of God really is like. And this mom comes up with the two sons, and basically she presents them to Jesus, say, hey, listen, I want my son to be on your right hand, and I want my other son to be on your left hand side, and I want them to be, like, you know, prominent in the kingdom. I, I, I love what you're doing and what you're saying, and I want my kids to be, like, the big deal. I want them to get the award. I want them to be, you know, like, the top of the class, that's really important to me as a, a mom. And, and then Jesus says this He answered to the mom and to the two bros that were sitting there. Again, that's a translation from Greek bro. All right, I'll kind of help you with that just a little bit. Um, and other people are listening, by the way, just not the mom and the kids. And he says, You do not know what you're asking, you have no idea what you're asking. I kind of put myself in that spot, and if, if you were Jesus and somebody asked you something like that, it's like, are you joking? You have no idea what I'm about to do. All you see right now is all the crowds following me, and all you see are the people on the balcony and the booboo and everybody saying, yes, yes, you're a big deal. Thank you. Please, Jesus, touch me. Connect with me. Help me. I mean, you've done all these miraculous things. I mean, you must be a superhero, Jesus, because, I mean, you do so many great things. I mean, this is the greatest show ever. I mean, can you imagine? It's like the best production ever. I'm all about it. And Jesus is saying, you have no idea what's coming. You have no idea what's coming. And he tells them that. And he says, are you able to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? And, he, and, and they said, yes. And he goes, okay, you will. You'll drink from that cup if you're really committed to follow me. And then he says this to them. But... For those whom, you know, are to sit at my right hand and the left hand, that's not mine to grant. Jesus is saying that's up to God the Father. And then the disciples and others who were gathered there heard this. And now they're mad. They're all like all upset that it's like, what will hold on? whoever sits on the right and the left-hand side, I mean, who is ever, like, first in the kingdom of God, that's, that's just a random selection by God who decides maybe you, maybe you, maybe I don't know. And they're like, hey, I've been there, Jesus. I've been walking with you for three years. I was the bro who was fishing. I was the one that did this. I can imagine Mary saying, it's like, hey, you know, I'm your mother. I mean, it's like, come on, bro. It's like, we're right here. Again, I'm bringing in, you know, more specific Greek terms for you, like using the word bro. And so basically... All these people are kind of upset because I was there with you. I've walked beside you. And these two guys all of a sudden show up. And they want to be like at your right and your left. And you don't like blow them away. You don't say, get away from me. You're like, well, maybe. It's not up to me to decide. That's up to to God, my Father. And they don't like this. And that's exactly where Jesus gets technically in their grill. All right? That's where... He technically convicted me in a church service after I spent two months with a bunch of you guys, a bunch of my friends here at IWU, traveling, doing camp after camp after camp. I mean, I deserved a little like break from conviction because I was serving Jesus Christ all summer with all of these high school kids and middle school kids. I mean, has anybody ever worked with a middle school kid before in your life? Bro, I mean, I deserve six jewels in my crown. It's like working with middle school bros. I mean, anybody work with a middle schooler before? I mean, dude, I worked with you when you were in middle school, a couple of you, and and it was not that simple. So I expected God to say, hey, hey, you get a break now. You don't need to be under conviction. I mean, it's like I'm actually going to elevate you because you served me really well. And Jesus blew that up. And then he says this to them, all right? You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for ransom for many. And what I saw was this, and I wrote it down on my phone. When I was young, in my relationship with Jesus Christ, it was really simple. I remember the time that I got saved, I remember what it was like knowing that it's like, this was the most amazing thing of my life. I went from a very simple relationship with Christ to this really complex season. And it started here in college. And then I realized, I can't stay in this really complex season. I have to move beyond it. I have to move beyond the complex to the place where I'm broken. The place where I'm broken to the place where I desire to be a servant like Jesus. And then after that, if he chooses, if he chooses, then maybe have influence. See, in the simple zone of life, it was actually the best because every song that i heard was the best song ever i never heard that one before and they were all amazing every message that i heard was like taking that was good that was amazing i never heard that before i mean it's like it wouldn't take a whole lot to get like a little emotional When Jesus did something or something happened in your life or you prayed and it's like you were really struggling with something and you felt comforted. And in that simple zone of life, it's almost like I was just innocent. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, I moved to the complex where it's like, I got to know the theology behind every time that you put your right foot in front of your left foot before I will actually listen to who's preaching, before I will analyze every you know, downbeat of the song. And I want to know everything about this. And it's like, you know what? There's things about God that are so amazing. And it's like I got inundated in myopic in my complexity as a Christian. Instead of allowing that to open my mind and my heart to the majestic and the mysterious. I got so deep in the weeds of being so complex that I lost my innocence. And how sick is that? How sick is it to go from being innocent in Christ to so complex that you lost like your passion? And that was me. And it took events in life to move from complex to being broken. To being broken, to realizing that Jesus was saying, if you want... To drink this cup that I drink, then you have to serve. And here's what happened. Here's exactly it on my notes. What is this broken place? This is in August. I've learned that real contentment in life is birthed out of desperation for just simply knowing Christ. I can't get past that in this real innocent stage. The simple stage. At the epicenter of it was a desire to know him. Not to be amazing and do great things or even be used in a miraculous way. It was just good enough. It was good enough just to know him. And that piece has to be carried through the growth of the complex, which is important. It's critical to know that the mysterious, the amazing things of God and to, to delve into it. That's why I love being here. I'm so stinking lucky. I get to, to, to be on the, a team of people who dedicate their entire life to understanding the complexity of Christ, but what I notice even in them is that it doesn't stop there. That knowing the complexities when it's born out of desperation of knowing Him, translates into being broken. And when you're broken, I think maybe it's the first time he can really use you. I wrote this down. God won't bless the areas of my life that I'm unwilling to relinquish to him. If I'm unwilling to relinquish parts of my life that are stuck in the complexity, maybe it's because I'm So arrogant that I believe I can do more with my life than he can do with my life. Are you there? Who, who who's more important? Who who has the last say for you? Are you doing the best for you, or are you relinquishing the rights to your life to Christ and trusting that He can do more with you than you can do? If you get stuck in the simple, that's a nice place to be for a minute, but you have to move. But you carry the innocence with you. If you get stuck in the complexity, you'll be so analytical that you won't be able to be used. But if you take the meat of the complexity along with the innocence of the simple and you move to brokenness, it's where then you relinquish. And you realize he can do more with me than I can make of myself. And then this happens. A couple of things I heard, I pulled out notes from other people and I realized to obey God is at the epicenter of being broken because obedience is greater than sacrifice. And then there's a big break right there. It's like, oh, 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 That that's not true because what I figured out, what I figured out in college, what I figured out on this very campus is that if I could sacrifice or if I could out-sacrifice other people who are Christ, then I might be great among everyone. If I could be a better sacrificer for the kingdom of God, then maybe he would do things for me and help me get rid of the bunch of the debt and maybe I could end up with the right person and maybe God would use me. And so what happened was this. I began to become infatuated with sacrifice because sacrifice got more attention than blind, simple, quiet obedience. So let's out-sacrifice each other. Who can do more? And in the midst of being so sacrificial, I reverted back to an arrogant place of life. And clearly, he's made it clear To obey me is greater than any sacrifice you could do for me. Because that carries with it the component of complete and total submission to God's will in your life. And what happens if you don't like where he's leading you? You know what? In the world we live, we've made a provision for that. Just go back to here. Just live over here. Not fully relinquishing the rights to your life. Plenty of churches will take you. Plenty of ministries will have you. You can get away with it, like within this context, but not in this context. And all of a sudden, I see this happening, that when you become broken, you don't care where he leads you. You're not really concerned on the job that you get. You've rediscovered the joy and the passion of knowing him. And that's when he begins to use you. And so here's a couple things. I learned this. These are a little bit aggressive, but if serving is beneath you, leading will forever remain beyond you. That was in my notes from a pastor this summer, late August. We he said that there was a collective, like, oh. Hmm. In my notes, I write this down. Next to it, I write holy buckets. This is brutal. If serving is beneath you, leading will forever remain beyond you. You'll never, you'll never have that thing that you want. You can't be a leader. That doesn't fit within the kingdom of God. He's not looking for great leaders. He's looking for simple servants that he can make something of. And then this, this was another note. This is from a camp this summer. Most people want to be discovered, not developed. They don't want to be developed. Develop means sacrifice, develop means process. You just want to be discovered. Thank you, American Idol, The Voice, everything else. Don't want to go through the process. Hey, let me get in this first level, let me skip all this. I'm going to skip learning the complexities of Christ, learning the depth of it. I'm going to skip the brokenness. Just take me to the top. Man, just, just let me audition one time, and I don't need to be processed. I don't need to, to have relationships. I don't need to be discipled. I, I really don't need to be anybody else's authority. I mean, it's like, actually, I won't be any, under anybody's authority. I won't be told what to do. I just want to be discovered. Just take me straight to the NFL. I mean, that was me in high school. Listen, I've got the jersey, I've got number six, I've got the hair. It's like, take me straight to the NFL. I don't want to go through these other. Just give me the, the contract. You know, this is a major problem for us, don't you? Do you desire to be in a developmental relationship that we call discipleship? Are you okay with being told you're wrong? What is it like having somebody who's 15, 20 years younger, you tell you that you're wrong? Are you willing to say you're right and I'm sorry? The other thing is this, I've become so addicted with like the style of the song, I love it more than actually the object of its affection. All of a sudden I found myself in the middle of a worship set and these amazing times and digging the style. It's like, dude, I loved how that that bass player did this. I mean, did you see it? I mean, he had it down here. It's like, you know, it's like, and, and the one guitar player did the foot drag and he had that going and that was cool. And it's like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm critiquing the worship set. I'm critiquing the people who are leading it. I'm critiquing their jacket or their shoes or the way they play or is it the right key that I like? And I've forgotten what the purpose was. You see, like, in the innocent stage over here, in the simple, just to be in a room with you. That's why people come back to IW all the time, and they love chapel. Because out there, there's not this kind of community. There's so many churches out there that don't have one musician that can literally play a song. They, they, they are led by worship by a tape where they put YouTube on. And then they come in here and we're surrounded by talent that is so amazing. But see, you're in it all day long. And you and I, we get really clinical. We get really complex with exactly how the worship is done. So here's what I say to you. I say this. We have to get simple. Not ignoring the complex. All right, But we have to carry that innocence through the complexity knowing him, the depth of him, so that we can be in this place of brokenness and out of that place of brokenness, he can use us any way he chooses to use us. Can I challenge you to be simple? Can I challenge you for parts of your life just to take the simple part, enjoy the moment, come to chapel and just enjoy it? There will be a day that you will reminisce about the moments you had here and think, I wish. And you're like, well, whatever. You don't even know what you're talking about. Yes, I do. Just wait. Can you find the simple walking between your dorm and Baldwin? Can you find the simple in just having a conversation? Stop emailing everybody or Instagram or texting them when they live across the hall. Just go see them. And spend a moment in a relationship. Take a little extra time you know, at Conn, or if you're off campus and you're at Starbucks, you know, it's like, and you walk in and you see a friend hanging out, and it's like, take a minute just to say hi. And become simple, and even in worship, this is what I do. Like, I go home and I've got, I don't have this nice a piano, um, but I have my own little piano that I got from, you know, a lady when I lived in San Diego, and I, I bring it with me everywhere. And there's times where it's like, you know I'm not going to get into I'm not going to listen to the album. I'm just going to get really simple. So I asked a couple of friends, it's like, what's the most simple song that uh, if we did it in chapel, if I closed out in chapel, that everybody would know without a full band? Without a full band, what, what would people sing and literally make Christ the object of their affection and not worry about who's next to them, not standing Just simply praying. So can I lead you in a corporate prayer? Very simple. Can we fight for the innocence? Can we love the complexity? But can we move to brokenness? You guys know this song. If you want to bow your head and sing it, I don't care. But just make it simple. Lord, I come and I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, just make it simple, I fall apart. You're the one who guides my heart. Lord, I need you, yeah. How I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh God, how I need you Just make it simple Where sin runs deep Your grace is more Where grace is found Is Where you are, and where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. It's our prayer together. Let's pray together. Lord, I need. Oh, God, how I need you. Sing it one more time. Lord, I need you. Father, that's our commitment to you, corporately. We'll never forget the simple or the innocence. Father, take us deeper in the complexity of you, but move us through to brokenness. And then I pray, God, we'll be usable. And that's our prayer, I W. That's our prayer right now. That's my prayer. God, I I, want to make a difference, but not in my own strength. Um, In your name and for your glory. Amen. You guys have a good day.